know, um, <laughs> God is an awesome, awesomely infinite person. He lives outside of his creation. He created. So you can just think of this being we call God. I got it in my notes. I'm not going to get to my notes today. His name was so holy in the Old Testament, you couldn't speak it. It was all, all consonants, no vowels. It's called the Tetragrammaton, Yahweh. So they put two vowels in it and say Yahweh. That, your word Yahweh is a very endearing term. But here's God, Yahweh, in the northern part of the universe. He just speaks. Planets, stars, galaxies, solar systems, order. <laughs> no chaos, order. That's God, right? God doesn't create chaos, he creates order. Any chaos in your life never came from heaven, it came from the enemy. God's a God of order from the minutest microscopic organism to the largest planet in the universe. Then, he had a plan. You know, I think I'll make, I'll make this planet and create an environment that life can thrive and then he, he scooped created this planet called earth and the scripture says a yatsard molded in his hands a human body and then he then on the ground was the body that God formed he said you know I've, there's something I want it says he leaned down over that body and breathed into that body the breath of life, the Hebrews ruach, and said, "Man became a living soul." The eternal heart of God has always been to have a family. We're created for fellowship. We're created to be with people, be with God, really first. That's why this past year has been so hard, because they've said, "Separate, separate, mask up, separate, separate, separate." Don't talk, don't sing, don't get together. It's anti-human to do so. It's anti-God to do so. Because we're created to be together. And God created us. He created us for fellowship, y'all. And in his heart, see, I got a book in my office. I've read that book. I bought that book in 1978. The Father and His Family. See, that's what he wanted it to be. We were singing, here's what I heard, orphan attitude. A lot of people have an orphan attitude. You know what, an orphan attitude, you won't let anybody get close to you. Because people close to you hurt you. If you get close, you might, might, need, might have to expose yourself. God wants to deal today with an orphan attitude. Maybe you've known the Lord for a long time. I couldn't figure out why, and even now. Yesterday I was a blubbering, I felt like a blubbering fool up here. I was, I was praying. <laughs> and the Holy Ghost came on me. And I started crying and weeping in front of him. I said, why, my Lord, have mercy. Lord, can't you just do it in my private time? How about in front of everybody? See, when God grabs you, 
He sees you from the inside out. And he speaks to you from the inside. The deepest part of your being is created to get a hold of God. Have you got him? Here's what I know a lot of people are mental with God. God is not a mind. That's the reason Jesus said, they that worship him, worship him in spirit. Right? In truth. That's the reason in worship sometimes you weep. Why? It's a spiritual thing. It's not about the lights and the smoke if we had it or the show. Oh, it's about God. Right? He created us for fellowship. Created us for communion with Him. Life just isn't right without Him. There's an empty something inside without Him. You know, when you come to know the Creator of all, It does something to you inside. Seems like it rights every wrong. It brings strength to every weakness of your life. Maybe, maybe that's why the Apostle Paul said that you'd come to know the love of Christ. that you might be filled with the fullness of God. You can't help but weep. We've been so empty. And now we live in an empty culture. It's an empty age. All of our gadgets have produced an empty life. We're so busy running after things that will never, that will never fulfill. We've lost the real purpose of life. It is to know him and be known by him. I'm telling you. You know, the best way you can just I feel the presence of God. Y'all feel that? It just, you know, my first response is to weep. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sad. I'm glad. The presence of God really hard to describe. We talk about the Holy Spirit and an anointing. John said you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. That anointing is more than a substance. It's that anointing is really a person. When you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus the Anointed One. Describe that anointing. I'll just tell you, um, Kenneth Hagin had a vision of Jesus, I think it was 1950. September of 1950. And Jesus appeared to him. It's in his book, I Believe in Visions. And he said, Jesus appeared to him, spoke to him, took him up to heaven, showed him some stuff. And then he said, he looked into the eyes of Jesus. And he said, I've never been able to describe what I saw. He said, it looked as though you could see a half mile deep into them. And he said, his eyes were like liquid love. Seems as though they could see a half mile deep into you. And the tender look of love was indescribable. I would read that as a boy. 
and the anointing came on me and I felt for the first time in my life the liquid love of God liquid it's tangible God is invisible but he is a materiality he produces us he produces an atmosphere and atmospheres can y'all feel this it's really amazing. But see, a lot of people wall themselves off. Can we talk a while and then sing some more? Y'all have a seat. I just need to stay here. Is this good? I need somebody get my, I need my Bible. I need my notepad. And I need my thing. Y'all can sit down and we'll come back. Can we worship some more? Get something ready, brother. We're going we to blow it out. You know, it's like you get down into a, um, I don't know, it's just funny. When this anointing comes, it's the most different thing. You can see it, you can just feel it all right here. It's, you got all these thoughts. But here's the situation. There's a lot of people here that have walled yourself off from intimacy. You know, Jack Frost came here many times from 1995 till he died in 2007. I think the last time he was here was 2005. But he had a definition for intimacy, into me, see. Yeah. See, God's got a gaze that cuts clear through the facades we have, all the smiles, all the clothes, all the stuff, all the shenanigans, you know, we pull on everybody else. He just sees clear through it, right? But see, people are afraid of God. You'll wall yourself off if you're not careful. I did that. You know, I, uh, mom, if you're watching, huh? my mother, my, my father, um, my, my grandfather made furniture. He was a finished carpenter. He helped my father build the house I was raised in in South Carolina in Florida. <clears throat> and then he also made furniture. So a lot of our furniture was made by my grandfather. <clears throat> and then so my father would help him. And my father learned how to be a carpenter and built the house that, you know, he eventually died in uh, in retirement. But she, he made, my, da, my dad refinished a Naga. Y'all know what Naga hide is? You got to be a certain age, I guess, to know what Naga hide is. That dates me, right? They'd call it, it's false leather, I guess, right? Yeah, it's a little bit thicker than that stuff they coat chairs with today. Well, we had a Naga hide rocking chair in my uh, den. And I have a vivid memory. And I had to be, you know, I was wearing a diaper. See, I can remember way, way back. I was probably a, well, we were in Florence, so I had to be three. I was probably three years old. Maybe just finishing up the diaper part. But I'm sitting in my mother's lap, and she's rocking back and forth in that Naga Hyde rocking chair. And I had a thought. My mother loves me. That's a good thought, isn't it? Now, see, some people, that's foreign to them. Because to you, love is abuse. Love is pain. Love is absence. Love is scary. Right? So, so my first recollections, I love by my mama. 
So let me say this. You can have a functional family, but because of the dysfunctional culture we live in, that dysfunction can route you away from being close to anybody. How many hear me? So, so. You know, I don't want to make this. I'm just trying to tell, illustrate something here. So I know me better than I know you. So let me just talk a minute. So, you know, so that's my background. Close family, mother and father, never divorced, always loved each other. You got divorce in your home. You got an absent parent. Some people are orphans. They, I mean, I've met so many people that are raised in orphanages. And um, I think I can wear my glasses now. Um, It's different being an orphan. Nothing seems normal. Nobody seems close. You get it? Everything seems foreign. It's not like it ought to be. I've never been an orphan, but I've, I've talked to enough people that, you know, that, that sense. And then some people who, who their parents leave them to someone else are adopted by a family and are very loved. Now, that's a new thing. How many know that you're actually adopted into the family of God? Isn't that an awesome thought? Psalm 2710 says this, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. There's a place in God that regardless of your family background or the dysfunctions that you've experienced, you can come into a place of closeness with God. People struggle with that in the 21st century. Is that true? So for me, even though my family was functional, my dad sang love songs to my mother. You, you, you are my true love. You, you, you are the one. That's a 1940s song. We'll spend our lives together sharing the rain and the sun. Then he'd sing to her, just one look at you. That's when I knew we'd never part. There'll never be a true love for me, another love for me. You're the only one that lives in my heart. I mean, that's, that's how I'm raised, y'all. However, culture, environment got in me. Started school age five, graduated school age 16, and always was um, physically behind two years minimum anybody, the, uh, any person in my class because of the starting school early and then skipping a grade in school. Uh, which, um, you know, I I didn't realize how psychologically that would affect me, but it made me feel alone. And then people, you know, kids are not nice. Kids are generally cruel because they're self-centered and they have flesh, right? Now, my grandkids are sweet, but they got this little twist to them. And you, you, you treat them a certain way and it'll turn on, right? That's why babies cry. So my friends uh, would say things that would barb, hurt, wound. So I felt as an outsider. You ever felt that way? That's not a good feeling. I let that get inside me, and then I just said all that to say I had walls. You'll get so far to me, but I'm not about ready to let you in any closer. 
So see, some people use their intellect and they keep people out because they can over-talk them. Is that true? Other people use their physical person because they are athletic or have certain skills and such. And a lot of people today use um, addictions to mask internal pain. So one major addiction is overeating or eating things that aren't helping you physically, but they are making you feel good emotionally. I won't go any further with that. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, there's lots of that. Drugs, over-the-counter medications that are abused. And then other, other drugs that are not legal. People use them all the time. Why? They're covering up a hole. Why is an alcoholic an alcoholic? It's not that he likes the taste of the liquor so much. He likes what the liquor does. It numbs. So I don't feel. I feel good. I feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're feeling good with the wrong stuff, dude. And then now people use pornography, sex. They go from sexual partner to sexual partner in our culture. And now, you know, because sex is ultimately not satisfying without relationship. And now sex has become twisted to homosexual lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and all that. All of that's a human need reaching out for something it can't find. How many hear me? And what we really need is closeness with God. See, see, so so all this other stuff, it's like a barrier that we have around us. So a lot of people have a little barrier around them. I can tell talking to people, you know, you can say a lot. You, you can find out a lot about me. Just listen to me for a few minutes. And likewise, when I'm having conversation with you, I'm not checking you out. But, you know, I can kind of tell what, how you're living. You can't help it. It comes out of your mouth. And then your body language, doesn't it? Your body language says a lot. Now, if you're listening, you can't see what I'm doing. Got my eyebrow wrinkled. I'm looking down my nose at someone. I'm looking up. If you don't make eye contact with someone, it says something about your inside person. I've cast demons out of people and I have to get them to make. I know that's weird. But you have to get them to make eye contact. Because the eye is the gateway to the soul. And if you can't, I've met so many people. You're talking to them, they just won't make eye contact because they're ashamed or afraid. How many hear me? So fast forward, I came to Jesus. I was, because of um, hurts, pain, loss, uh, friends. You know, people can two-time you pretty hard, pretty tough, you know. Say one thing, do something else. Say things, stick a knife in your back when you're not looking, so to speak, with the words. 
and you learn how to quantify that and how to keep the pain from getting very close. So a lot of people have little walls, you know, all around them. Invisible, but they're very real. You ever talk to somebody and go so far in conversation, that conversation just finished because they checked out. Changed the subject, right? Or just stop talking. Well, see you later. In so many words, say, see you later. Those are avoidance patterns we have. And see, we come to Jesus, we have those same avoidance patterns with God. There's something about his presence. Even if you won't let him look you in the eye, see that liquid love. It'll just get inside of you and mess with you. I was uh, praying yesterday. Everybody okay? I was praying up here yesterday, sitting on a stool and trying to read, and God started talking to me. You know what he said? Oh, why are you doing this? You're going to mess me up. I love you, Mitch. Oh, don't say that. Let me read. Huh. And then, towards the end of me reading, I kept hearing him say a, a verse from Song of Solomon. When I came to the Lord in 1976, there was a song we sang. I am my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. I am my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. You know, that's from Song of Solomon. And you know, you read Song of Solomon as a, as a real staunch man, it's like, that's too emotional for me. Because they're talking about body parts and stuff. I mean, it's like, shut up. Right? Go read Song of Solomon. It'll shock you like, my Lord, hush. Well, it's a man and his wife, and they love each other deeply. That was, uh, people wonder why that was put in the Bible. The reason it's put in the Bible is because God wants to love you to pieces. And he wants to be closer to you than anybody can ever be. So in 21st century, we got the idea the greatest love is sex. No, that's the lowest love. That's flesh love. That's really self-love if you do it wrong. Outside of marriage, it's just self-love. You love yourself more than you love the other person. You're willing to engage in something with them that will send them straight to hell unless they repent. Just to get your need met. Same way with homosexuality. See, I love homosexual people. God loves homosexual people. But their nasty habits will keep them out of heaven. Why is there an attraction to same sex? A judgment and an unmet need. Did you hear me? Why is a girl craving a girl instead of a boy? There's an unmet need and an anger. I mean, you hear me? Then the enemy twists and warps. I don't know why I'm saying all that. True love 
And if you're married, sexual love is because you love somebody. It's you care about them. How many hear me? Can I say this on Sunday morning? I was in a marriage and family class in 1970. I hadn't met Susan yet, so it's 1977, early 78, in a Bible school in my hometown. Sitting there minding my business. And, uh, and I, for some reason, my Bible was open to Philippians chapter 2, and I wandered down to verse 4, where it says, King James Version, Look not every man on his own things, comma, but every man also on the things of others. Hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. And they're talking about marriage. And then I heard the Lord say, Mitch, if you want to have a good sex life in your marriage, do that verse. I said, let me see that verse again. Here, let me see. <laughs> I was just 19, you know. <laughs> Anything I pursue selfishly pushes me away from another person. Is that true? Anytime I selfishly hold on to hurt, pain, loss, anger, even if you think you have a right to, there's something you lose. I mean, hear me. This is when Jesus comes. He wants to get into where you live. You've heard this story before. So when I, um, when I came to the Lord, I found myself in my bedroom. I lived with my parents. I was 18. I had this piece of blue carpet on the floor. We had tile floors, and I had a piece of carpet in the center. And uh, I don't know why I'd lay my Bible on the carpet. And I just don't know why I did. I got on my knees. And I'd read my Bible on my knees. Sometimes on all fours, just look. I know it's strange. But for me, it was kind of like, Lord, I, I need to humble myself because I'm, you know me, I just got a lot of pride. So I'd, I'd kneel down. And all I can tell you is, when I read the scriptures in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, where it talks about love, it talks about relationship, it talks about forgiving people, letting, letting things go, not having malice. You know, malice is the desire that bad things happen to others. Do you know that? That's malice. I had malice in my life. I was angry, hurt, vengeful. But today you'd call it butt hurt. It was. But I sit down there reading and I'm telling you, there's something about God. There's not another person in the universe that can know you like God. Nobody. He understands every nuance of thought, why you think the way you think, why you respond. A lot of people respond out of hurt. Have you noticed that? And now we've got a whole generation. Everybody's hurt, so they're angry at each other. Is that true? Huh? So they act real pompous. Pride, when you respond in pride, you're always covering something. Do you know that? Or there's a deficiency and you're trying to cover up for what you feel in yourself is deficient. The bully on the playground when I was a kid, 
He was the weakest guy there. He's covering up for what he doesn't have. Usually a bad home life. Many times an absent father. Or, or neglectful parents. Or abuses of various kinds in home. Many times an alcoholic in the home. An addict of different kinds. See, those kind of things seep into life. That's the reason, you know, we come to church and say, why do you sing in worship when the presence comes? And he's here real strong right now. That presence comes to heal and to mend. And there's something about the presence of God that can touch places in your life that the psychologist can't touch. The psychotropic drugs only mask. Do you hear me? <laughs> and that presence lets you know, I love you. Here's what that presence says. I love you. I know where you've been. I understand how you feel. I understand why you respond that way. I know why you're such a jerk to your spouse. I know why you're so angry towards your children. I know why you wall yourself off around your friends. You act like the most friendly person in the room, but your laughter is hiding things. See, that's, that's what the presence does. And all that's all at once. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. So I'm on my knees, go back to my room, reading my Bible, and that presence comes. I read the word, the presence comes. And I begin to weep. And see, I'm just 18. Why am I weeping? God, I mean, you know, come on, God. Guys my age don't weep like this. This is like weird. I'm not a pansy. I'm a man. Why am I weeping? Because God's grabbing something that nobody else can touch. And God's grabbing the facades, the masks. You get it? The weaknesses, the irritations. And he's just simply saying, I love you. <laughs> and that's all he says. I love you. I'll be okay. Whew. You get that? I can't encourage you enough. So, well, Pastor, how do I study the Bible? I was mentioning this to me in my office the other day. How do you get in the Word? 1980, um, this was 19, early 1983. Susan and I rented a house, 7500 South Lyons Avenue, Broken Era, Oklahoma. I was living there going. And I just started a job at a local church. And I um, had a big desk from DuPont. My dad worked at DuPont. He gave me a desk. And it was about as big as the bedroom it was in, really. But it was big enough to put all my books, my you know, Hebrew and Greek lexicons and all my study aids and stuff. And, you know, had it all laid out and I'm going to study and we're getting the word. And um, I was there about two weeks. And I was sitting there in my desk and saying, God, I know you're real, but I sure feel dry. What's wrong? See, I'd let the facades come back that God was trying to tear down when I was a new believer. Because I went to Bible school and got a head full of knowledge. 
My first Corinthians 8 says, <laughs> knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And I said, God, why am I so dry? I mean, I'm in your word. Look at here. See, some of you are that way. You're in the Word. You're reading in the morning. You got that 365-day Bible. You're tearing it up. <laughs> Don't you proud of me, God? <laughs> you're reading Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm. Boy, you in it. Boy, you proud of you, you know. That's the way we do, you know. You're reading books and stuff. But here's what the Lord said to me, Mitch. You're dry. Is you're trying to contact me with your head. And all I'm looking for is your heart. Jeremiah said it best, you'll come to pass, it'll come to pass, you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And you know, I repented right then and said, God, I'm wrong and I'm sorry. I was trying to fill my head with stuff that would impress. God's not impressed with your head stuff. I got people listening. You go to Bible school. That's great. Awesome. Seminary, cemetery, nary. Sometimes it takes the faith out, honestly. God just wants to know you. That's what Paul said in Philippians 3, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. You know what he was saying when he said being made conformable to his death? I don't need anything but him. I don't need my education. I don't need the accolades people give me. I don't need the money. I don't need the prestige. The only thing I need is him. How many hear me? So back when I was studying, I repented. And that sent me on a journey. I've been to two Bible schools, but my a real journey started in 1983 when God spoke to me and I did it all wrong. And I started wanting God on the inside like I did when I first came to him. You know, Revelation, this is weird. That's just like I'm in a river and I ain't even trying to think about this. It's just coming out. You know, Revelation 2, Paul said to the church of Ephesus, I have something against you because you've left your first love. Repent from where you're falling from. You ever left your first love? First love, man, it's fresh, it's new. My first love was Susan. Oh, man. Whew. See, where, did, where this perfume is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's my lady right there. And we got married, and it's like, mm, she's my lady. Right? Your first love with Jesus is when he finally gets you. And you let him love you. I'm just appealing to the heart today. There's no deep teaching here. But there is an appeal to the heart. We're living in an age that everything is surface. Have you noticed? And then 2020 made the surface even worse. Did it? It's terrible for our children. It's terrible for us. God just wants you. That's all I can say. He wants you. The song we were singing, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. <laughs> it's true. Don't play.
Oh, how he loves you and me. Lift your hands. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. America has rejected Christianity. It's in the notes I was going to preach. We're a post-Christian culture. Because we've done it wrong. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you have a love for one another. And you know, you can't love another person the way God wants you to until you let him love you. You've got to let him forgive you. Now, see, when I say that, I feel things. Some of you are so angry at yourself, upset with what you haven't been. Here's what I found out about getting older. older. Regret days. Wish I'd done that. Should have done that. Shoulda, woulda, coulda is a dead-end street. You get a certain age, you can't go back and redo. Is that true? I wonder how Moses felt. 40 years old, he killed a man, hit him in the sand. Authorities found out in Iran and stayed in the desert for 40 years, and God finally called up with him. I've been looking for you and chasing him. Got in front of him with a bush that was burning, which was not uncommon in the desert. But this was burning with the power of God. Moses said, he said, take your shoes off your feet. You're standing on holy ground. I've called you. Me? Yes. Yes. He ran for 40 years. And his life just started at age 80. In the next 40 years, he led the Israelites. You have no excuses. Listen. If you're older and living, I'm speaking to somebody. You're living regrets. Stop. That's where you got to let love come in. Say, Lord, help me. For all you have to do, all you have to do is say, Lord, forgive me. See, now if I feel something like that, I say, Lord, forgive me. I, I didn't know. You know, here's what happens when you age. You have idealism when you're young. You get old, you think, Dang, I should have done it that way. <laughs> Don't. Particularly when you're raising your children, I should have done it that way. Man. Right. I'll tell you, the presence is here really strong, y'all. I feel it so strong. But see, that presence will say, let it go. I forgive. And you've got to forgive yourself. Or maybe you're fresh out of the world. Maybe you've got one foot in the world, which means doing things you know you have no business doing. And one foot, you want to be with God, but then you got a few days. You just kind of cut this spiritual thing off. Click, we're going to get in the flesh today. We're going to do this. It's going to feel good. 
You say, well, God won't have anything to do with me. Not true. Not true. He'll come right up to you. And he'll say, I love you. Let me help you. Let me love you. Let me forgive you. Let me empower you. Let me help you. Let me make life peaceful and sweet. And see, if you let God make your life peaceful and sweet, then you'll be peaceful and sweet. Because any part of you that's not peaceful and sweet has not yet been affected by the sweetness of that entwining love. It gets into everything you do. I mean, so many times, you ever let your mind wander? And hear the Lord say, what you thinking about? I said, how'd you know? I know everything. <laughs> he said, won't you put it on me? Let me help you with that. Everybody okay? Addictions, hurts, pain, loss, regrets. I feel all of that in this room. Maybe you're watching and you have that too. Oh, you're still back there? You okay? <laughs> Lord Jesus. I love you, man. You know, Joshua is a go with the flow kind of guy. Give him a hand. He's a good man. Can we take a few minutes? Do you feel what I feel? (laughs) If y'all know me, I'm kind of crazy at home. I make songs out of everything. Ask Susan. Some I will never sing in public, believe me. (laughs) I think we should sing with the lights down. Here's the deal. Here's where the anointing is today. If you would say, God, I, um, I want you to touch the parts of me I've, I've, that I struggle with, that, that I haven't opened up to you yet, and I, I want you to be close to me. I, I want to be close to you. Just cut the lights up a little bit. I can't only see black right now. There you go. Now I can see. So I want you to come down front. I may put... Some of you, I just may pray for. Would you allow me to do that? There's a real anointing here. It's really, when I say an anointing, it's the presence of Jesus. I knew I prayed a scary prayer this morning. I was at my chair and said, God, you know, I I studied all day yesterday. I said, you know, I really, and I told Mira in my office, I sure would like to preach this today, and I didn't get to. Okay. God wants to put you on a journey of loving him. Because where we're going in the world is um, tough. And to reach people now, it's not going to be with what you know. It's going to be with how you know who you know. The Lord, right? Right?